Morocco. Northwestern Africa. Overlooking the Mediterranean and the Atlantic Ocean. Bordering Algeria and the Western Sahara, just south of Spain. With a population of about 37 million, where Arabic and French are most widely spoken. Morocco is known for the red city of Marrakesh, couscous, mint tea, Casablanca, and the Sahara Desert. Morocco is also where the High Atlas Foundation works, an organization that comes alongside the Moroccan people, supporting and partnering, serving and bringing expertise in areas that include agriculture, education, water management, women's rights, and development. So it is my distinct honor to introduce you to the High Atlas Foundation. Yosef Ben Mir is president. Fatima Sara Ladibi is empowerment trainer, and they are my guests today, right here on the edge of adventure as we travel now to Morocco. where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Adam Asher. Great to have a couple of great guests with me today as we focus on Morocco. I have uh, two guests, so let's introduce them one at a time. Yosef Ben-Mir is the president of High Atlas Foundation. Yosef, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to have you here. Also joining us from Morocco, right here, right now, Fatima Zara Laribi, and she is the empowerment trainer for High Atlas Foundation. Fatima, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mr. Adam. It's great to have you both. It's a, truly an honor and a pleasure. And what a great opportunity to learn about Morocco and to also to learn about the High Atlas Foundation. Let's start there. And I think, Yosef, you are the president, but you've also been with this organization so long. I want to get your perspective and help the audience immediately understand what the High Atlas Foundation is and what you guys do. Well, thank you, Adam. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. The Highlands Foundation really commits itself to what we've learned over generations of what lends towards sustainable development, and that is people's participation, people's control of the design, of the priorities, of the evaluation and management, and being the beneficiaries of, of that development. When people determine their development projects, it lends towards their long life, that projects endure we are essentially facilitators of community dialogue to assist people in their determination of what they most want. And in Morocco, in rural places where we primarily concentrate, the issues are water, clean drinking water, irrigation water, opportunities for women and girls, 
school infrastructure, and of course, agriculture. 80% of rural incomes come from the agricultural sector. And so we are entirely dedicated to fruit tree planting, building cooperatives, processing, certifying organic. And so that's really what we do. We follow the lead of the people and implement the projects that they determine. Yosef, what is unique about Moroccan culture? You know, every place is unique, but give us the perspective of what makes that country what it is today. I think that's a great question. And oftentimes when we have talks, that's really the concluding thought. What makes Morocco so special? But I'm so glad to start off on that because Morocco has committed itself to, for example, concentrating decision-making authority at the subnational, at the local level. So if we're saying that people's participation in development lends towards sustainability, then a country committed to decentralizing authority so that people can make the decisions and manage the change that they want, that is hugely important. And not only that, Morocco is committed to women's liberation and freedoms. Morocco is committed to multiculturalism, that the uh, Moroccan Jewish and Christian identities, Morocco being an Islamic Muslim nation, but Morocco is committed to all of its people and all of the faiths within its country uh, historically and today. And that makes Morocco incredibly um, important because if a nation committed to people's participation and its diversity and also South-South unity and, and, and other frameworks, I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, I could elaborate on as well, but a nation committed to all of these very important movements for change, it's, it's really essential that it succeeds, that it succeeds because it would be an example in the Islamic world It'd be an example in, for our world. And so that's what makes Morocco so special. And its success is for itself and beyond. Joseph Ben-Mir is the president of the High Atlas Foundation. He's joining us today here on the Edge of Adventure. Also joining us from Marrakesh in Morocco is Fatima Zara Laribi. And you just mentioned, Yosef, you just mentioned women's empowerment. So I think this is a great time to introduce a little more formally Fatima. Your role there, I want to learn about your role, your empowerment trainer. So tell us about your role with High Atlas Foundation. Okay, first of all, I'm glad to be here, and uh, we are very grateful for the invitation, Mr. Adam. Uh, actually, I'm working with High Atlas from October 2012 up to now. Uh, why? Uh, simply because I believe in its principle and uh, the empowerment. Also grateful for Mr. Yusuf, who contributed greatly in change my my life uh, because he believed in me and uh, he asked me to work for High Atlas Foundation as a way to empower myself and to to empower the community and to to put like the impact on a positive impact or positive change on my community. Uh, we conducted the uh, women empowerment uh, workshops with the rural community, where High Atlas Foundation works in across Morocco. The prior step that High Atlas Foundation takes before implementing any development project we call Imagine. And uh, Imagine is a self-discovery workshop. And uh, we spend like 32 hours with the, the participants, uh, mainly women. 
and we help them to to create a, the, the, like a comprehensive vision for their lives and we provide them with the tools to manifest this uh, vision uh, usually when we we spend time with women we found that uh, many women uh, having like uh, obstacles or or they are stuck in, in a certain area of life seven core areas, relationship, money, work, body, uh, spirituality, and sexuality. And uh, we help them to envision and to create what they want in all these seven core lives. This is The Edge of Adventure, and that is the voice of Fatima Zara Laribi joining us from Morocco, Marrakesh in Morocco. And of course, today our focus is the country of Morocco and an organization there doing great things, not just in the area of women's empowerment. Of course, that's a very special area of their focus, but they work on so many different levels and in so many different ways. And so also on the show today is Yosef Ben-Mir, who is the president. Yosef, you have been with the organization 20 years. Take us back, though, to when you got involved and what it was that drew you to High Atlas Foundation. I, like uh, other co-founders served in the Peace Corps. And I served in the early 90s as a Peace Corps volunteer uh, living in the Highlands Mountains. It was a, a friend who actually coined the name of the organization and it seemed uh, it rung right. Um, but what kept me um, connected to Morocco is of course the, the, the people and their challenges and the hard work and uh, their struggles and stories. And I will say that in the early 90s, the stories are of really deep challenges of, of infant mortality due to unclean water, which, of course, afflicts a, a billion people today in our world. But I, I, I will say this, that the solutions are so achievable. And that's what kept me involved. If we simply basin and contain the water we can uh, significantly reduce infant mortality. If in Morocco, if we plant 100 fruit trees, on average, or average family of five, we can uh, double the average rural incomes uh, once those trees mature. And 100 fruit trees, for us now, uh, if we were to buy them at an existing nursery, we would pay $150, $200. Right now, the Highless Foundation manages with communities, 13 nurseries around Morocco, including 1.66 million seeds. We transplanted 700,000 this year and monitored 410,000 of those so far. And it, that makes it hard to walk away when, when the need is so stark and serious and the solutions are so available and affordable and we can help make that difference, it seems that you know, we have to do all we can. And so it's the love of the people. It's the love of the culture. It's the love of the work. And um, seeing that somehow we are making a difference as best we can keeps me uh, connected to Morocco. And I may be more connected in my heart today after all of these years than I've, than I've ever been. Joseph Ben-Mir is the president of High Atlas Foundation, also one of the co-founders and one of my guests today here on The Edge of Adventure. I've noticed, Yosef, as I have these interviews with different organizations and different leaders, people that are focused on these types of projects, there are certain terms that get used, but sometimes I think it's important to take a complex term or a term that might 
be something that is focused on in these NGOs and these uh, international nonprofits and then break it down because sometimes the significance of it can fly right over the head of, well, somebody like me, right? Just some, a normal guy out here. When you talk about sustainable community development, what does that really mean? Adam, your, your question tells me that you are a scholar and you're a thinker and you are practical and you, want, you're on, you're, you yourself are on all levels uh, because I think that's the, that is really a, an essential question. We have to make operational these ideas. And um, I'm a visiting professor of the University of Virginia and we teach a course, accredited course. And one of the first things we have to do and anyone doing any study needs to do is define your terms. And how do we define them? One of the ways we have to is to look at the gamut of literature that's out there and dissect all of the different ways that it's defined and pull together a new definition based on, on the information available to us in our world. And I've gone through that process with those very words, sustainable being one, what is sustainable? What is a community? What is development? So let's get, take a second and make operational, functional these ideas. For one, let's start with development. Development has to bring about change and improvement in multiple sectors of our life, economic, environmental, uh, uh, cultural, uh, political, environmental. All these different dimensions of living need to be improved upon by a development initiative, by an action. And so development has to have that multifaceted dimension to it. And so if we're talking about clean drinking water, that means that not only is there a health benefit, but the construction of that system has to be environmentally conducive and adapted to that area. And it has to make financial sense. And it means, needs to be culturally appropriate because oftentimes we may spend, in Morocco, it's women and girls who may spend a day collecting water, and that may prevent them from going to school. But on, in other communities, it may take less time to fetch water, and it may have a social dimension to it. So clean drinking water is essential, but the reasons for it may be different based on the cultural context of where it's happening. So that's development. Sustainable, of course, refers to the fact that it endures over time. And that and sustainability, that definition has emerged since it started in 87 with the UN. Again, I don't want to get too far into it. But today, sustainability means not just we don't utilize or consume the natural resources today to the extent it compromises tomorrow, which is how it was born, the idea. But now we know that to be sustainable, it has to be inclusive of economic factors and all the different factors that I mentioned before. If in the design of development, it's sensitive to all the, the political, financial, historic, geographic, cultural, social, economic dimensions, then it has the longest chance of, of enduring. And so sustainability requires that kind of sensitivity to all the factors that may affect its life, that project's life. And how do we do that? How do we ensure the injection of all these different points of view in the design of development through people's participation? Because if you get a lot of voices and a lot of points of view, governmental, civil society, community, 
technical technicians, if you get all of them concentrated on a design, then you're able to inject all the different dimensions that need to be considered in that so that the project has long life. And so therefore today, sustainability is equated with people's participation. We can't have development that long endures unless the beneficiaries were integral to that design experience. And then finally, community. Community, of course, can we have a virtual community? Can we have uh, religious communities? Can we have a civil community? Of course, there's a lot of contextual aspects to a definition. But for us at the Hyatt Foundation, we have to have a shared space, a geographic space. Now, community has, there's an institutional element to community. There's a historic element, of course, but it's about relationships of a people sharing a specific geographic area over time. And that's critical when you're trying to establish a project because it's for who, for where, for what reason, who's priority, who's managing it. And so it has to land on a space. And for us, that's a critical element. That's the voice of Joseph Ben-Mir, president at High Atlas Foundation, my guest today here on The Edge of Adventure. And of course, my other guest is Fatima Sara Ladibi. And several of the themes that Yosef is referring to and walking us through there and helping us understand, which I think is important. We use terms and they can become catchphrases or buzzwords and they can sound good, but I've, I have noticed, I mean, sometimes we don't really know what we're talking about, but hey, it makes my job easy. My job is not to know the answers. My job as the host is just to have the questions, which is good, which is good for me because I don't have a lot of answers. I just have questions. Fatima, I want to know your perspective on the life of the women who call Morocco home. What is a woman's life like and how is the work of High Atlas Foundation important? Actually, the, the High Atlas Foundation work mainly in rural areas. So our focus is in the women who are illiterate and who are experiencing poverty. Uh, so High Atlas Foundation uh, help them uh, meet their needs. So we work with them with the, the empowerment methodology and uh, we, we help them to to make their voices, to find their voices and to make their voices heard. And uh, we help them to generate income and to be independent. Uh, also, we help them uh, uh, with the establishing like a cooperatives. This is how High Atlas Foundation uh, helped. Wonderful perspective from Fatima Sara Laribi. I just like saying your name. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Correctly. It's such a beautiful name and, and what a wonderful work that you're a part of and that High Atlas Foundation is doing. Let me ask you kind of the same sort of question, Joseph. I want your perspective on what the life of the women, what is that life like? You mentioned a few minutes ago as it pertains to water, right? They may spend in some areas, they may spend their entire day collecting water. And then of course, that prevents them from having other opportunities. Again, for the Western mind, for the international mind, as we've got people listening here from all over the world, help us understand what are some of the struggles? And more importantly, tell me about the hope 
that is currently found in Morocco in this regard? The hope is real, as are the um, the painful situations in rural life. Now, let's also remind ourselves that there is a stark divide in Morocco between urban uh, life experiences and rural ones. And of course, that's pretty much indicative of our world. Most poverty in our world are, is in rural places. And most, and within that, most are in uh, mountain areas. And Morocco has its, uh, you know, there are four major mountain ranges in the nation. And, and it is there where most difficult poverty is concentrated. The difficulty of women's lives begins, of course, as girls. And um, when I began in the early 90s, in the village where I lived in the south side of the High Atlas, one family uh, sent their daughter to school, to primary school. Uh, our director of projects today at the Highlands Foundation, she lived in another region, but she was that one girl in her village who was first to go to school. And um, in both cases that I'm aware of, it was, uh, it, was, it was important that the father took that, what we would consider obvious step, but in a situation where you're the first, there is an element of courage. Now, thank goodness things have improved since then. But even as girls now all basically go to primary school, there is a major precipitous drop in rural places between primary and secondary. And that precipitous drop continues between secondary and high school. And so that then informs life experience. If we don't continue school after primary, and we may, and now it's Moroccan law that the age of marriage is at 18, but culture and tradition for girls makes it earlier. And we have stopped school at 11 years old, and we have been sitting in our homes for four years, and there's an opportunity for marriage at 15 or 16, our director of projects spends time trying to convince girls to hold on and not marry, but but that's a difficult conversation because she's been home for years and needs change and hope in her life. And so the struggle continues on as that person gets older. And so what we do is we try to, we tr as Fatima Zara said, we begin with self-discovery. We begin with building our belief and our confidence and the sense of the future that we want. And that begins with a 32-hour workshop that is intense and emotional and true and empowering and life-changing. And that leads towards the formation of a cooperative and production activities and um, the fortitude to carry forward. And so of the 13 nurseries, tree nurseries that I mentioned, I believe four of them are entirely managed by women and girls. And agriculture is a in the male production sector. And so there's a huge hurdle, you know, four out of 13, one may think, well, that's not that many. But in Morocco, that is exceptional because not only have they taken control of their futures, but they did it in a male domain of production. And so, you know, what makes the hope is that um, empowerment, which we also need to operationalize, is actually true. And that has to do with our internal capacity to decide and manifest the change that we seek.
And that has to result in livelihood and better health and measurable food security and all different kinds of human need benefits brought into our lives. And so the hope is real as are the enormity of the challenges. Thanks for listening to The Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher. And as always, it's great to have you with us. We'll be back to my conversation with Yosef Ben-Mir and Fatima Sara Laribi from the High Atlas Foundation in just a moment. But I did want to take a minute and invite you to join me in the brand new social community and mobile app called Rugged Compass. If you're looking to be a part of something more, a part of a community that values people, places, travel, culture, languages, kindness, and of course, humanitarian work, then you should be a part of Rugged Compass. It blends the best parts of social media, podcasting, streaming, and live video, all pertaining to adventure and purpose, all together in one app, one community. It gives us all the chance to share our journey while we also share in the journey of others. To focus on the things that really matter without all the distractions, without all the division. Rugged Compass. Available for iPhone and Android, tablets and iPads, even on your desktop for the browser. Just look for it in the app stores or get the links at ruggedcompass.com. It's the social media experience that takes us beyond status quo. Get the app, join the community, and let's make this journey together. Ruggedcompass.com. That's ruggedcompass.com. Now, back to my conversation with Yosef Ben-Mir and Fatima Sara Laribi of the High Atlas Foundation, right here on the Edge of Adventure. Joseph Ben-Mir is my guest today, one of my guests here on the Edge of Adventure, and he's the president at High Atlas Foundation. So if we think then about all these different aspects, is that where you at High Atlas Foundation, is that where you've sort of derived this theme that you have that I've noticed through throughout your work and throughout the things that are conveyed to the public, that you at High Atlas, you're about the whole of human development and so all these things are connecting in this one place. I mean, am I following in that regard? That's very well said, Adam. And, you know, Fatima Zara can speak very directly about this, but even about our body image. What if our confidence is not what it needs to be to create the future we want because we perceive ourselves, our emotional and physical selves, as less than beautiful? What if... We are in a room for decision-making that includes men, but we can't voice our interests because of the social control that is ever-present. And so we learned the hard way. We learned that participation in decision-making is not enough if we don't believe in our own voice or even know what it is that we most want. And so, you know, Fatima Zara, I'm curious, when you talk about body and spirituality, which may be removed from clean drinking water, but when, you, when we begin with those kinds of subjects, what is it that women and girls say in terms of the challenges in those areas of life that they feel? 
when we conducted the workshop because only there is only women they feel possible to to speak uh, to speak out and to they, they are open uh, to, to talk about their bodies and their spiritual uh, uh, life uh, but uh, as we said we 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 understand or we learn that uh, the participatory uh, approach alone is not enough and that's why we 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 started with the self discovery and the confidence and trust uh, and self trust uh, because we we saw them that they, they are um, uh, acting against them their, their choices uh, so we help them to to find their their, their voices usually by uh, we, we found that they, they don't uh, Either they don't know what they want, or they don't they don't have like the just what they, they really want in their life. This is the edge of adventure, and this is a great conversation. And there are many questions that come to mind, and I think that that this is largely the result of how High Atlas works in all of these different ways, and that important theme of the whole of human development, and consequently could spend hours delving into these different areas. And Fatima, I'm going to come back to you in just a minute. I've, I have a uh, question for you, but I'm going to, hold, going to hold that one. And I'm going to shift gears here again. I'm doing this in part, having to jump around in, in this, the different topics, in part because High Atlas is so comprehensive, right? I think this is, that's my word here, but I, I see this comprehensive approach to uh, human development. Again, that's a great way that they've chosen to describe it. You mentioned agriculture and the agricultural field. And of course, then you think about women being involved in that now at different levels and, and how that's progressing. Wonderful, wonderful signs of progress. You've also used the term organic agriculture. And I want to talk about the importance of that, because again, if you're somebody like me and I don't work in agriculture, I don't know that much about it at all. What is the significance of it being organic agriculture? And I'll toss that question to you, Joseph. Thank you, Adam. It's it, From Morocco, it's really a good question. In the nation, there are 13 varieties of fruit trees and dozens of medicinal plants that grow organically. There actually are 10 varieties of fig that are endemic to Morocco. This is actually key because the agricultural sector if tree planting were to be maximized, let, let me just say this so you get a sense of context. 70% of agricultural land in Morocco only generates 10 to 15% of agricultural revenue. 70% of land, 10 to 15% of revenue because of the reliance on the traditional way of growing barley and corn. But three quarters of the people who experience poverty in Morocco are in rural places. So it's essential that there is this transition away from growing these staples in traditional ways, which more than 50% have to be imported already. And so with this transition, there is this huge uptick on tree demand and prices, which is why we, we've planted approaching 4 million uh, with communities and why we're dedicated to it, because the, the people demand it, require it. As part of overcoming rural poverty, there has to be processing and uh, value added. And part of that process of value added is the certification of organic. Now, it's really important in multiple reasons. One is, let's take, for example, almond, which grows organically in Morocco without the application of pesticides. 
or so of the almonds in the world are grown in California. Hardly any of it is organic. And so there are entire municipalities in Morocco where as far as you can see are almond trees. None of it's certified organic, while very few girls go from school from primary to secondary because the families can't afford the transport or what it takes for that to happen. And yet they are cultivating gold in a sense. The value of almond over the past 10, 15 years, global value has been going up, 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 yet the farmers are still selling it at local markets. And so if they were to secure organic certification, they could and build their cooperatives and ability to commercialize and reach more distant markets, they are they can multiply their household revenue multiple fold. But that's not happening. We can say the same with pomegranate. We all know the medicinal anti-inflammatory, antioxidant value of pomegranates. And there are 4,000 hectares of pomegranates in Morocco, hardly any of it juiced. And all of it, basically all of it, consumed within the perishable period of months following the harvest, while the growers are experiencing terrible poverty. And so the issue of organic and processing and adding value generally is an essential component of what the Moroccan family farmers need, who are 13 million people in the nation. It's essential of what they need to overcome the different poverty conditions that they experience. And I'll say this, that um, we're talking about family farms, you know, they may, they may have a hectare uh, or two of land maximum. And so when we say we planted, you know, millions of trees, we are talking about uh, this year alone, 6,000 farming families, because a farming family would only plant five or 10. They don't have much land. And so part of what we have to do of overcoming this the difficult dependency on barley and corn, which is keeping people down, we need to be able to access farmers and benefit them in the most distant places of the nation, the 6,000 farming families we, families we served are in 39 provinces of the country. Anyway, certifying organic is just part and parcel of what we need to do to make the, to, to generate prosperity, which is entirely possible. And Joseph, I hear this theme of potential as I listen to you, you speak here for Morocco. Is, is the nation positioned well or positioned poorly in terms of being able to become a food producer, a major food producer for the world? Um, Adam, you're cutting to the chase. You know, it, these, these, are the, these are the questions. Geographically and in terms of it, it's beautifully positioned. Morocco is part of Africa, part of the Middle East. It's in the Mediterranean basin. It has special relationship with the EU. It has free trade status with the United States. It strongly encourages the Maghrib regional bloc of, of nations uh, surrounding it. Um, regional blocks are essential in our world, in our globalized world, because we can't go from a nation to entire globalization. We need to take steps to realize opportunities related to globalization and also deal with its challenges. And so regional blocks are, are, are part of that and Morocco is fully committed to that. And so, yes, it's positioned, but is it internally positioned? And, and in that sense, not enough. Um, and I say that because 
we're dealing with communities that have been needing the same irrigation canal for decades. Why? If we know it, certainly the Ministry of Agriculture knows it. And why aren't the resources financial? And the people will build it in kind. They'll give their labor if they have the materials. And that story of what I just said to you is from village to village, municipality to municipality. I don't mean to say that nothing's being done. Of course there is. And of course, civil society, if given the chance, rises to the occasion. But poverty remains the Achilles heel and unshakable. It it remains too dense and too severe in rural places. And and it's very concerning. I want to say one, if I could, Adam, very quick, one ray of hope, multiple rays of hope, but I want to focus on one. In November last year, we opened a nursery on land lent by the Moroccan Jewish community. We received 50% of the funding from the government and the Hylas Foundation raised the other amount. So listen to this. The nation needs trees. We need to build nurseries in, in, all across the country. The gift of land is essential because a farmer can't give up her or his land for a year or two in order to build a nursery. So we need that input of land. We get it from different government agencies, but we get it from the Moroccan Jewish community too, because they have 600 parcels in the country adjacent to the burial sites of their Hebrew saints. It's an interesting case, but I want to bring up this point because an Islamic government paid to build a community tree nursery on land lent without cost by the Moroccan Jewish community in order to put forward an initiative to help overcome rural poverty. That is multiculturalism and activism, and and, and they wanted to do it and make it Moroccan. And so there's incredible hope and incredible desire, but again, these good cases are just too few to tilt the balance toward overcoming what seems to be unshakable poverty, con- rural poverty conditions. That's the voice of Yosef Ben Mir, president at High Atlas Foundation. And brother, look, that's a tremendous ray of hope. Like there, there's a lot of hope, I think, in the way that the different faiths are working together in Morocco. Again, you think about there's such potential, potential to be an example to other parts of the world. Adam, would you forgive me if I just add one point, which is really amazing? Please do. Uh, The month of July, forgive me. The United States government, USAID, funded the Hylas Foundation and sub-grantees, including Moroccan associations, uh, Mimuna Association, Foundation for Memories for the Future, and Essaouira Mogador, funded us to gather the memories with the Moroccan government to gather the memories of the Moroccan people of when Muslim, Christian, and Jewish people lived together in social solidarity. Now, the Moroccan Jewish and Christian people are very few now, very few. And so, and the people who remember the time of solidarity are elderly. And so there is an urgency to capture these remembrances before they're lost. And so... This initiative, yes, with U.S. government funding, but it's a Moroccan priority. And that really says so much about the nation and why it's so important that Morocco succeeds because of these kinds of commitments that it has. And because the rural poverty conditions are so severe, 
no one knows any person or nation's future. And what if these amazing, the model of what Morocco has set for itself, what if it doesn't flourish? And what that could mean to other nations if a nation committed to multiculturalism doesn't succeed the way we would want it to. So Morocco's life and its future is really important for our world. This is The Edge of Adventure. Yosef Ben-Mir is the president of High Atlas Foundation, my guest or one of my guests today here on the program. Fatima, I would like your word of encouragement to the women who are listening. And it could be the Western women in you know nations like my own. It could be the women who are joining the program from many different nations around the world. What is your word of encouragement or advice, your admonition to the women? Uh, actually, my advice to Moroccan women and women in general is to believe in her inner uh, truth and inner um, uh, cap uh, capacities and the innate uh, cap capacities that uh, they, they have and to empower herself and uh, by herself uh, because the change it's come from 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 ourselves and if the women um, empowered or flourished the entire family will be empowered and uh, flourished uh, as well wisdom from fatima zara laribi she is the empowerment trainer for high atlas foundation and she has been joining us today from marrakesh in Morocco. And thank you so much, Fatima. Uh, Joseph, we'll kick it to you now for the final word for the program. How can we help? How can other people be involved? And, uh, you know, what do we need to know about High Atlas as we come alongside you to support you? I guess uh, what's important is wherever you are to bring people together and hear what's most important, build consensus around it, and never stop. And projects of the people at the community level, from community to community, in time mount and federate and create the movement uh, and change on increasingly broader levels. And so that's what we try to do in Morocco. And thankfully in Morocco, it's what the nation wants. And so we're not, we are trying to fulfill the Moroccan vision, to fulfill Moroccan laws and policies. And so much in our world, Nations may not encourage these kinds of community decision-making in movements. And so wherever we are, let's promote it. I will say this, sometimes it's we don't have time. And if you don't have time, help us plant trees. A walnut tree lives 500 years, a carob tree 200 years. We can't know the consequences of that good. And we can plant it and monitor it and even generate carbon offset and measure that as well. And with farmers and families and women and multiculturally and with youth and all different kinds of groups. And so join the movements where you are and plant where you are and plant with us in Morocco and inshallah uh, with, uh, with, in, with good intentions, uh, positivity will come in our world. What a wonderful episode this has been. We've talked about so many different things. High Atlas Foundation is the organization that we've been featuring today and their work in Morocco. Look them up at highatlasfoundation.org. 
That's highatlasfoundation.org. Come alongside them, send them a message, let them know that you heard the program, that you appreciate what they do, and just the many, many years of service to the Moroccan people and beyond. You'll also be able to find them on Facebook and Instagram at High Atlas Foundation, and then also look for Twitter at Atlas High. And follow them on social media, share the word, get the word out, and again, communicate with them, come alongside them financially or otherwise, uh, as you feel called to do. Once more, special thanks to Yosef Ben-Mir, president of High Atlas Foundation, and Fatima Sara Laribi, who is the empowerment trainer for this organization. You guys are doing great work, and you've certainly honored me today by coming on the show to tell us just a little bit about it. Thank you both for what you do and for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone out there. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo. Beyond status quo.